the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we can find useful. Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to the We Get Real AF podcast, everybody. I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. Be sure to follow at We Get Real AF across all your social platforms to stay current on the latest and greatest in tech and science. And please take a moment right now while you're listening to subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Absolutely. Today, we're focusing on the future and how emerging technologies will change just about everything we know about the world of work. Joining us to unpack what these technologies are and how you'll see them show up in your day-to-day life in the very near future are Kathy Hackle and John Bazell, co-authors of The Augmented Workforce, a book that's hot off the presses and takes us into the future of work. Kathy Hackle is a globally recognized tech futurist, business executive, and top voice on LinkedIn with a specialty in VR, spatial computing, and the metaverse. John Bazell is an award-winning leader in emerging technologies covering the last six major digital transformations, currently leading companies into the next generation metaverse at Epic Games. Before we strap on our jetpacks and head into the future, how can our listeners find you guys and your book, The Augmented Workforce, online? You can find the book on Amazon. Uh, the book is shipping worldwide. So, you know, if you're listening to this in Holland or if you're wherever you are, Barbados, <laughs> that would be really nice. <laughs> Barbados is nice, yeah. <laughs> Read it on the beach. It's on the best selling list. We're doing really well. It's really exciting. As far as me, you know, LinkedIn, like you mentioned, is where folks can definitely find me. Um, I write for Forbes as well about the future. So that's another place people can find me. Yeah, and in addition, uh, we're collecting uh, content at uh, theaugmentedworkforce.com. So if you're interested in appearances or recordings, we're doing some promotions around the book, uh, anything related to the book that you can't get on Amazon, theaugmentedworkforce.com is a good place to get it. And very good to be with you today. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. And I have to tell you guys, I am almost all the way through the book. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it to our listeners. You do such a great job of unpacking these keystone technologies that we're going to be talking about today and really making them understandable and bringing awareness to why we need to pay attention. So with that, let's dive in and maybe start out why did you select these and how did you come up with the the category? And just tell us what they are, if you would, and then sort of how you came up with identifying those. Sure. Well, if I could tell a little story uh, just to get that started, Um, Kathy and I have known each other uh, for a little while. Um, I met her when she was working for HTC Vive, uh, you know, kind of one of the early VR headsets, uh, still one of the the better ones as well. And, um, you know, at some point she did some marketing consulting, uh, consulting for an innovation studio that I was working at. And, uh, you know, then we stayed in touch as she moved to Magic Leap uh, to work on, you know, the future of mixed reality with Magic Leap. And at some point, you know, she reached out to me and said, hey, uh, do you want to meet me for lunch at this pizza place? Um, the place where robots serve pizza. Like, how could I refuse, right? A technology person. <laughs> so we get there 
And we're sitting down about to eat our giant slices of pizza that had just been delivered by a robot. And uh, she said, hey, do you want to write a book together? I said, well, that sounds cool. She said, great. The name of the book is The Augmented Workforce, how <laughs> AR, AI, and 5G will impact every dollar you make. And I, you know, it kind of blew my hair back. I was like, wow, <laughs> yes, I, I think we could write that book together. So, you know, when we were talking about what that book would be, and I, you know, applaud Kathy for the, the vision to, to, to collect all of this stuff into one uh, resource that people could use. We quickly dispensed with the notion that this would be a book for our best friends on social media and on the conference circuit. Like there are plenty of deep technical books. Uh, you know, I have some favorites that we might list on this uh, podcast, but like this is for everybody else. You know, we're all building the future together one click at a time, one website at a time, one mobile app, one piece of the metaverse together. And, you know, there's this gap, this, you know, vocabulary gap, the skills gap, understanding gap between those that are currently doing the work and the ones that ultimately will live in these places that we're creating. And so Kathy and I wanted to wrap our arms around all the experiences that we have had working in technology, meeting with people from across industries, and really strip away the jargon, strip away the um, things that are keeping that gap alive. And so with this book, one of the first things we decided was we've got to give people a frame of reference. Like, what are the pieces of this that they could understand so that they don't think, oh, gosh, I have one dollar. I have to only spend it on AI or augmented reality or 5G or Internet of Things or any of the other technologies, crypto, like all the other things that everybody deals with. And so we came on this idea of, hey, it's like a computer. People get a computer, right? Like they know that the disk uh, used to go in this side of the computer and you plug the ethernet in there or you used to, or, you know, uh, the screen is this part, like people have familiarity with different devices. So we use that as our frame. And, you know, in the book, there's this chapter and it's early in the book. It's called your new global computer building the future on six pillars. And so using that frame of a computer, we put all these things into place. So for instance, this idea of the internet of things, um, or nowadays people call it the internet of everything because it's kind of like technology is atomized and it inhabits everything from book covers to coffee cups to toasters and microwaves to your car and your building. So we think about that as your mouse and keyboard. That is the way for the brain of this all connected computer to kind of get input from the outside. And then when we think about artificial intelligence, we think about apps like Right now, it's such an easy thing. I'm, I'm not going to say the, the keywords, but we all like ask our phone or our smart speaker, you know, help me solve this problem. There's no like sorting through icons on your phone to go find that. You just speak your, you know, need into the air and it just gets done like the best app in the world, right? You know, we all have to store things and increasingly we're all relying on large companies to store those things online. And so when you look at the cloud, that's not only your, your hard drive. But increasingly, that's a new gateway into other things. So we get into that as well. You know, for blockchain, crypto, all this kind of stuff, we talk about authentication and how that's the last password you'll ever have, right? Is that ability to identify the things that you own or that you have some control in. And, you know, with 5G, we're talking about your kind of network connectivity with uh, XR, you know, AR and VR, mixed reality, all the R's. Um, that's your new display, Right. And then we help people see how all those things fit together. So our hope is, uh, and I'll stop here. If you have a dollar, you're thinking about that in a structured, prioritized way. 
in the frame of a new computer to understand how all these things braid together instead of just thinking you have to pick one as like a silver bullet, like you're playing a, you know, slot on the roulette wheel. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Absolutely. That makes great sense. And I really appreciate, because that's what we're trying to do with the podcast as well, is take topics that almost feel untouchable to people, but topics that they need to be engaged in and make them approachable. Exactly. Well, Kathy, talk to us. I mean, you had this idea, you came into this lunch um, with like this robot serving you pizza and you already had the title in mind, you know, uh, what was the aha moment for you? Like how, how long has this idea been baking in your head? Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I had already written my first book with Samantha Wolf, who now teaches at NYU. Uh, and it was a marketing book, but I was like, I feel like there needs to be a more of a business book. Um, you know, and I kept thinking about it, you know, at that time, obviously I was traveling quite a bit and I kept thinking about what would, what would be the title of a book I would pick up at the, you know, the bookstore at the airport. And for some reason I kept thinking about this. I was like the augmented, augmented workforce. And like the title just eventually came to me and I said, this is something people would pick up. And, um, and like I said, I felt like there was a need for a business book and that's kind of how it came about. And, you know, having worked with John, um, and you were here, you know, I was very lucky. Like I literally, I hang on to every word. John, John doesn't know this, but everything he says, I'm like hanging on to it. Like <laughs> he's, he's like a sense. He's like, you know, he's Yoda to me. Like, <laughs> um, seriously. So I was like, oh my gosh, like if I was going to partner with one of the smartest people I know to write a business book, right. I partnered with Sam, who's brilliant in marketing. And I said, okay, who do I partner with to do this other book? And he said, it's gotta be John. Um, and yeah, I mean, I kind of, I already knew, like I knew pizza at a robot place, you know, book, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure he was going to say yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it was, it's been a, it's been quite an adventure. I have to say that was, uh, you know, what a year and 10 months ago, John, it was a long time ago. It feels like it was a long time ago. Um, so, you know, it, we've worked really hard on this book where we're humbled to be honest. Um, the, the people, you know, the, the feedback we're getting, the, the folks that tweet pictures at us when, you know, with the book or, or that show us, you know, that we actually augmented the cover. We hired a team in Chile, uh, Oscar Cartagena in Latin America, who did a wonderful, wonderful job augmenting the cover. Um, you know, so when I see those videos on social, it just, you know, it, it lets me up because it, it, it really, it feels, I feel like our book is really, it was really needed. And is that kind of book that is going to resonate within our industry, but in a broader sense with the business community? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it's kind of the the tech book for the non-tech professional, you know, that, that it, describing all the things as you did, John, earlier in a in a layman's term where people get it and relating it to things that they that they understand, which a computer they kind of get right. So that's that's pretty brilliant. So I have a question about how business people perceive some of these technologies now. And what is your two questions, I guess. One is how much lack of understanding or misperception is there surrounding some of these keystone technologies? That's my first question. Are there any that jump out at you? I think there's a, a lot. Um, you know, a couple of things Kathy's probably tired of hearing me say uh, is, you know, there, there are these design uh, maxims like, you know, a tool that's hard to use doesn't get used very much. Or as I like to say, people don't want to swing a hammer. They want a place to live. You know, a lot of us in the tech industry have gotten infatuated with, with all the cool stuff we get to do every day. And I think we lose sight of, of how we've left everybody else behind. And, you know, people will come to a, a tech shop or an agency or whatever it would be because they're out of ideas or time 
or money or some, you know, some combination of those three. And sometimes it's, it's a very vulnerable place for them to be because they don't understand what it takes to make a website or what a good website is or, you know, why a mobile uh, application, you know, really needs to start with a conversation, not a set of UI mock-ups, you know, and increasingly in the metaverse, you know, uh, as we build this 3D connected inter- internet together, it'll be very easy to get distracted by like, well, what are the effects and how's it going to look on an iPhone 6S and like forget that this is meant to be an improvement on getting together in real life and what are the things that you can really do. So I think it's on all of us um, that are listening to this podcast, reading this book, uh, working on tech projects to like stop and reflect that not everybody is in the place that we're at. So, you know, kind of generally we see a a, a general disconnect and, and some apprehension about revealing that people feel kind of dislocated from all of this excitement. They may still be kind of patting themselves on the back from like the last digital transformation, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically, people I I think are starting to warm up to, and Kathy, you should challenge all of these, but like I, I think specifically people are starting to warm up of the idea that AR and VR, especially during the pandemic, can do things that they cannot do, literally cannot do right now, whether it's like looking at, you know, fine jewelry or touring a house or like learning how to use a piece of equipment that you won't set foot on until your, you know, year anniversary of being on a job. Um, So that's one area. I think people are pretty mystified in in general by, you know, blockchain, uh, cryptocurrency, NFTs. uh, And I know Kathy is more of an expert in those areas than I am. Um, Some of the other ones too, but yeah, it's, Kathy, what would you add? Yeah, I would definitely add that there's there's a lot of that happening. I mean, I have, I would say in my world, it's been interesting because I've been in AR and VR for the past six years. And I would say over the last, you know, six months, seven months, it's been uh, a lot more metaverse stuff. So I'm straddling both worlds. And I, I keep having so many conversations over here on the metaverse side related to blockchain, related to NFTs, related to that part. And people just, you know, trying to make sense of digital goods, trying to make sense of that part, like let alone like the VR, AR side, um, but this other side over here that they keep reading about. And it's, you know, like I, I had a call today w- with a, a potential client and they were saying, uh, oh yeah, we, we, we minted this NFT and we're going to give it to some folks uh, and we're going to let them know by email. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to send them an email letting them know they have an NFT and, do they have crypto wallets? Like, <laughs> you don't deliver the NFT via email. Like, that's just not how it happens. Um, so a lot of education, a lot of education has to go into sharing with folks, okay, what are these underlying technologies? How do they work? How do you actually, that's one of the things I love to do, and John knows this, like, I love evangelizing about the technologies, and I love teaching people. Like, okay, this is how you actually set up your crypto wallet, and this is how we actually mint an NFT, buy an NFT. This is where you find your NFT. This is why, you know, what my someone might want to know what your NFTs are. Um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been quite interesting. To, and, and that today just was really funny because he was so excited. So like, we're going to let them know via email. And I was like, well, that's great, but that's not how you transfer ownership of an NFT. Um, you know, so I don't know. So just, I mean, just things like that, I, I kind of have to talk to people about every single day. So that level of education and just evangelizing, um, you know, what these technologies are and how you work with them, I think is important. So, so let's do that. Um, 
And I'd love to start with, you. I heard you both use the term metaverse. And I think a lot of people, maybe that might be a new, new term to them. So describe for us what you mean by metaverse as a starting point. Definitely. Kathy, you want me to take a whack and then you improve it? Yeah, you do it and then I'll go. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. Um, so I like to take the long view with this type of question. It's easy to forget that the iPhone has really only been around for what, like 14 years? You know, human beings, depending on who you ask, have been around a really long time. And only last, in the less than two dec decades ago, we started bringing uh, this glowing piece of glass around with us so that we didn't have to like hunt it down in an office or at a university or, or you know, in a special room of our house. So, you know, things are getting digital in more places and in more different ways, and it's getting smaller. It's like that quote that, you know, the best technology is indistinguishable from magic. We are approaching that moment where digital is truly invisible. And we talked earlier about the smart speakers and how you don't have to configure an app. You just speak questions into the air and they get answered. And increasingly, you know, this is happening seamlessly between your home and your car when you're away from home. Um, so from an auditory perspective, we've got that seamless a connection with kind of the sum of human understanding and, and commerce and all of that, right? So what about visually? So with visuals, even though we live, have always lived for our, since our origin as a species in this spatial three-dimensional world, our, our bodies are, are designed for us to navigate that and to interact with others in three dimensions. We like hunt out these little flat pieces of glass and we just stare at them like moths to a flame, like just for hours and hours, as if that is the thing. So this notion that we can do better than what we've got right now, that, you know, links and, you know, apps are great, um, but we could do so much more. That's a big idea, but that's what people are talking about when they say the metaverse. So companies like Epic Games, who arguably have the largest video game of all time with Fortnite, hundreds of millions of active users on more than a dozen platforms, there's a vision that that company talks about that kind of grows out of this game notion that people will want to play and socialize and maybe do other things. But to other people, the metaverse is a collection of all of this 3D whether it's a scan of the Sistine Chapel or a new pair of Nikes, whether it's, you know, being able to walk up to a, um, you know, kind of a fire hydrant and find out like when it was installed, when it was last maintained or, or hold up a, a, you know, a box of macaroni and cheese at the grocery store and learn where it fits into your diet. Like that 3D layer of connected information, depending on who you talk to, like that's the metaverse. Kathy, what would you add? No, I definitely agree with you, John. I think it's interesting because people tend to hear the word metaverse and they immediately think Ready Player One, the Oasis. They immediately think the Stopic in device. Um, and yes, there are parts of the, of the metaverse that will be in a headset. I'm not going to say no, that that's definitely part of it. But I always think it's like, why do people always think Oasis, Ready Player One and not Pokemon Go? Because to me, it's really a spectrum of sorts. And the way I describe it to people is you have Web, web 1.0 connected information. So you've got the internet and all the good and the bad. Uh, web 2.0 connected people. So you got social media, all the good and the bad that came with that. And Web 3.0, where we're, where we're at and, and heading into in a, in a further way, connects people, places, and things. Right? And those things in those places or even those people could be virtual. Right? Um, so it's a really broad spectrum. Uh, I really like what Kevin Kelly from Wired says. He says it's when the world becomes machine readable. 
likable, searchable. And that world could be a wholly digital world. It could be, you know, the Oasis, or it could be our world with, you know, the fire hydrant information laid in front of you. Um, it's that convergence of physical and digital. Uh, a lot of people also say, is it the metaverse? Is it metaverses? I started to kind of just think about it in a broader way. Um, so I started to think about almost like, you know how you have the great tri-state area? Um, I think about the greater metaverse and then the meta worlds or metaverses within that. You know, that's kind of how I view it because it's, it, yeah, I don't think it's worth fighting. Like there's one metaverse and no one can call themselves a metaverse because there's one. I'm like, no, why don't we look at it in a broader way, the greater metaverse? And then like there's multiple meta worlds, meta metaverses within that greater metaverse that we're, we're looking at. But it's a, it's a combination of Web3, it's a combination of blockchains, combination of, you know, AR and VR, all these sorts of things that are kind of coming at us. Um, and yeah, it, it has layers, like John said. It's it's really impactful. It really changes, you know, how we engage with content, how we engage with each other. Um, yeah, and it's the next generation. I even tell people, I say this, look, back in the day, um, you know, people would be like, we will never need a social media team, right? We will never need a social media team. Let's enter and set up for Facebook, right? Or they were like, oh, we'll never need Twitter. Uh, you know, maybe in the future, and, you know, you'll need a metaverse team. We're probably going to need a metaverse. There's companies already setting up metaverse teams, right? And it might not be the name, it might not be the word metaverse. We don't know. In 10 years, it could be potentially something else. Um, that's the term we're using right now. Is it the right term? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think history is a really good guide here. Um, you know, if if, if you know, the listeners are, are uh, have been around to remember, uh, pre-internet, there were these online services like America Online, CompuServe, uh, some others, Prodigy, and they were this thing that you logged into that the way you load up a game. And there was a whole world of community and experiences inside of that. And at some point that broke free and went on to the web. And now that's all connected. And there may be some paywalls, but like you can kind of see the front door of all of those places, right? Um, we're at a similar point where, you know, there's this thing that's happening with these individual disconnected experiences. And there's this opportunity to connect it all. Just like in the early days of television, you had to tune in at a specific time to a specific channel to watch it. And maybe you couldn't record it. Whereas now, of course, like, you know, the complete corpus of every single piece of video is addressable on YouTube or, you know, OTT or whatever. So all of this digital content and intelligence around 3D objects is getting ready to break out into the mainstream in a way that can be connected from any phone, from any web browser. Apple just yesterday actually just announced at WWDC, which is their Worldwide Developers Conference, um, this bookend to a technology that they released a few years ago. So a few years ago, they made waves by coming up with this thing, Quick Look AR, which you wouldn't anymore need a custom application on your phone to look at augmented reality content on your phone. And it was wild because you could be like, we made a project for Coca-Cola, Kathy and I together uh, with some uh, amazing team members too. Um, but you could see the new version of um, vanilla Coke uh, with a whole world of, of, of playfulness on the other side of the bottle, like through your phone on a table and it could be 10 feet tall or small or whatever, but you didn't need an app. So now, as of yesterday, they have an ability for you to scan all that stuff with your phone. So if you want to make your own splashy AR marketing campaign or teach somebody how to hold a wrench the right way, you can just take pictures of it with your phone and it's suddenly part of a metaverse, uh, potentially. So this is starting to break out. 
Um, so in the 90s, uh, pre-CD-ROM, people didn't have flatbed scanners. They didn't have very good digital cameras. There was a massive amount of work that like digitized everything to the point where everything just became digital native from then on. We are about to embark on another huge effort where people are going to take all those flat pictures that go on flat screens and create 3D objects of them in a way that people can interact with and learn from and share or maybe buy with an NFT. So it's really exciting. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, because, you know, I do a lot of work with volumetric video and someone was like, why are you so you know bullish on volumetric? I was like, look, everything around you, yeah, <laughs> everything around you has volume and has dimension, right? Eventually, when we move away from the phones to the wearables, are you really going to want to have flat screens in front of you all the time? Possibly for some things, yeah. But for some other stuff, you're going to want content that has dimension, that actually is 3D. 3D is the gateway drug to AR. Like that's how I envision and how I see it. So like Apple's announcements yesterday, I was like, yep, spatial audio, 3D. I'm like, yep, yep, hitting all the <laughs> hitting all the greatest hits there. Well, that brings up a, a fantastic point, which is it's early. There are big companies spending lots of money to figure it out, but whatever we're doing now, it's gonna be defined in hindsight. We're not gonna define it today. So it's plenty of opportunity for get people to get in, raise their hand, jump on problems because nobody knows how to do this stuff, you know, the way it will ultimately be done. Uh, nobody's an expert yet. We're all finding out together. If your listeners, uh, people that might buy this book are thinking, God, well, that sounds awesome. But like, how do I get into that? This is a perfect moment. Just like, you know, 2005 was a perfect moment for people to, to get into social media, right? Or 2007, 2008 was a perfect time for people to start designing uh, mobile apps. Um, this is that similar time for the metaverse. And our book is like a primer to me. Like this book is the primer to the metaverse that people need to read. We went through a point in the book, uh, like many authors or co-authors do, where we were kind of sizing it up as something much less than what it ultimately became. We had, you know, these chapters in here about understanding, you know, a new global, global computer built on six pillars. Uh, we talked about kind of... Um, you know, five commandments for technology and business, or should we brace or race for change? We had like these like kind of pithy little headlines for these uh, chapters. And we looked at it, and we we're like, this isn't enough. So what we did then was we went through and added a survey of seven different horizontal functions and over a dozen different vertical markets. And we collected information from all of our network. Uh, Kathy's got like 10,000, I'm sorry, 10 times more uh, social media followers just on LinkedIn than I do. So, you know, she did a lot of the research, but, um, you know, finding people like Nate Fender from ARIO, who is delivering just-in-time uh, training for agriculture that is like improving people's yield and reducing accidents or increasing safety, or uh, Courtney Harding from Friends with Holograms, who on the, the training side is delivering, you know, uh, work that is uh, increasing uh, employee retention and, and raising morale. Uh, people like James Ashley from uh, LifeMap, uh, used to be VimAAC, uh, where they're able to, to like use 5G to deliver huge, very rich data sets so that people can walk into a digital twin of an office building and like see the blueprint as it would actually be. So the book is just like chock full of real stories from things happening across every single industry. And I know Kathy's heard from some people like, oh, I wish your architecture, engineering, and construction chapter was longer. Us too, but we couldn't afford to print that book. <laughs> That's the next book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a part two to the series here, Augmented yeah, Workforce. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from Inphase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. 
I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. This is all amazing and actually reminds me of, um, you mentioned Courtney Harding, which is another friend of ours who we've interviewed on the show, but um, Linda Ricci over at Decrahedralist, um, she also talks about the metaverse and we had a conversation with her that was very reminiscent of what we're talking about where, you know, all of the technology that we are experiencing is going to become a natural organic extension. And you both described it very, very well. And somebody that may not grasp or have their brain wrapped around it, but basically your motion um, of your eyes, depending on, you know, maybe a contact lens that you have or whatever, just the nuances are going to automatically populate within the world around you. And that's how you're going to connect all of the things, all of these six pillars. Um, And as we're talking about connecting, uh, John, you mentioned something really early on in the conversation about braiding and the intersection of all of these six pillars. And obviously on the cover of this uh, book, it says, you know, extending that dollar. So can you both kind of describe the strategy on having that dollar touching each point of, of these six pillars and how you connect that and really be cognizant of that strategy? Again, if I'm going to spend X amount, how does it feed into each one? Um, I'll, I'll kick it off and then Kathy, feel free to jump in. Um, you know, if there's one thing that I hope people take away from this book, it's like, you know, get some distance, put down the tech and remember that you're a human being. Um, it's easy to become infatuated with these technologies and kind of like get very excited that you're learning things and can do things. But a big part of it is like, should we be doing things right So a lot of times, Kathy and I have seen uh, a lot of innovation groups, very earnest, very well-meaning, do projects that are cool, but don't necessarily scale because maybe they lost sight of the customer or they lost sight of kind of the employee experience. You know, some of my favorite examples uh, include, uh, you know, a company called Zebra Technologies that uses, you know, kind of uh, the humble uh, NFC uh, sticker, near field communication sticker uh, that they use at Disney World for like smart bands and stuff like that. But um, they use it for safety. So when you clip in uh, your safety harness to go paint a five story tall um, tail fin on, on an airplane, if you don't go through the safety protocols, like the whole factory line shuts down because that's an essential step and technology is in this, you know, invisible but important way keeping people you know, uh, from hurting themselves. And they've gone from many accidents to zero where that technique has been employed. And so, you know, that's one area where they thought of the people first and they thought about how to solve, they identified problems and then rank those problems and then fit the technology to that as opposed to starting off with like, hey, we've got a solution. Let's go look for problems. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, in a lot of cases, people aren't asking for these technologies cause they don't know about them. They don't know what they're good at. They don't know who's used them before. And that's kind of why Kathy and I wrote the book is, is to put aside a lot of the technology and, and speak in human terms um, to help people identify, okay, how do I know when I've got the problem right? How do I bring in a partner? How do I identify whether, you know, they're capable for this project or for something else that we might use? Kathy, how, what, what would you add? I would definitely add that. And I think that, you know, one of the things we keep hearing is that it's a very accessible book. And I think that that's important. This book is for the end user. This book is for your client. 
this book is for the decision maker, right? That at the end of the day has to say, do we do this? Do we not do this? Right. It's great for the innovation teams as well. Like I want them to read it as well and, and share it with the rest of the org. But it's really about educating the rest of, of everyone in the business world. And I think that that's that's what, you know, what is important to us. Um, I even, you know, it's interesting because when I wrote my first one uh, with some, with Sam, one of the things that we wanted the book to be, wanted to be a resource for people that were setting up, you know, uh, marketing, you know, VRAR marketing agencies to be able to give this book to their potential clients and say, hey, read about this. You can read it here. And I kind of see this book as well as serving like that um, for companies in the, you know, in all these different verticals to give to their, their, their clients or to potential, you know, potential clients or, or for end users to educate themselves. So, so yeah, I think it does feel, it does feel a need and, uh, you know, you're not going to find, let's say, you know, how much money X is going to cost you. That's not in the book, but it's more about understanding the underlying value Mm -hmm. technologies bring and how does that help you optimize processes or, you know, what, what is the value prop that these, these, all these technologies bring to your company? Yeah, right. it's a little tough because, you know, some of the stuff is so new. You know, the HoloLens from Microsoft is a great mixed reality headset. It's only been out for a few years. Um, you know, even the Oculus uh, VR headsets, whether you're looking at the DK1 or the Rift or the Quest, I mean, that technology's really only been in production for about six or seven years. So it's, it's still pretty early. Um, so we do want people to, you know, to use this with the right sensibility that they should be exploring and testing and not expecting that this is going to deliver, you know, kind of the, the returns that you'd see in a mature category, like a website or, or a mobile device. But we do find that it's very promising. And then there is some empiricism out there, uh, you know, that you can refer to. And that's what we tried to collect. So yeah, making that resource was really important to us. And, and we're glad to hear that people are finding that uh, valuable. I, I would add, because Vanessa and I both um, have a background in educating companies about when's it appropriate to use immersive tech, for example, and when's it not. And it seems like people fall into one of two categories. Either they want to try it because it's super cool, or they just don't get how it could be useful. And I would just caution any practitioner in the immersive space to really listen to your client and, and ask good questions so that you know whether the emerging technology that you're proposing to them is truly a good fit or not. And if it's not, just say that because ultimately you don't want somebody to be disappointed because they, for example, created an immersive experience when perhaps a simple 3D animation would have sufficed. Mm -hmm. In other cases, yes, absolutely go with the immersive technology because you will get much more training bang for your buck uh, than you would have just from a simple animation. So it's important to really be nuanced and as enthusiastic as we all are about these technologies to be um, very measured in what we recommend and to whom and when, what situation. Um, I just want to touch on another thing that, that I read in your book that I think is really interesting because another whole phase or aspect of this is the ethics behind these emerging technologies. And this is something else that these companies are going to have to understand and think about how they employ. And um, under ethical questions, I'm going to read a quote here. You both write, brands won't just be able to track eye movements and clicks on a screen. They'll be able to track and analyze brainwaves, thought processes, and the intent of their customers. It's one thing for Amazon to know their customers' browsing history for the purpose of pitching products. It's another thing for Amazon to be able to analyze a customer's mood, glances, emotions, and attractions. Will that data be held safely on an Amazon server or sold to interested parties? So that's a, a huge example right there. Could you talk a little bit about some of the ethical 
topics and, and considerations that companies are going to have to educate themselves about alongside learning about the technologies and what they can do in general? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's something that when I worked with John, we were always very clear to our, to our clients about is that, you know, when you're when you're deploying, especially AR, AR and VR, uh, you're going to be collecting very intimate data, like, you know, how someone walks, how someone, you know, with hand tracking, like you're going to be collecting a lot of, you know, eye tracking, hand tracking, gait, voice. I mean, so many different things. And we need to be very clear as to, you know, what is the data that's being collected? Are you going to, you know, what are you using it for? Are you storing it? Or are you not storing it? Etc. Um, so being very clear of the potential dangers, the potential things that could, could arise. Um, and yeah, just be realistic, right? Uh, one of the things I personally, so I'm personally based right outside Washington, D.C. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about is, uh, you know, going down to Capitol Hill and, uh, and educating lawmakers about these technologies. Uh, there's actually something called the Reality Caucus. That sounds kind of funny. Um, there's a Reality Caucus on the Hill. It's the Virtual Reality, Augmented Reality, Mixed Reality Caucus. Um, they actually have a new member during this Congress. I think it's important for, for people, for lawmakers and for government to understand what the technologies are so they're not playing catch up. You know, the worst thing, you know, for me, it's that Senate hearing with Zuckerberg where they asked him and he said, we sell ads, Senator, uh, where the senator obviously did not understand their business model. Um, you know, for me, it's part of that. We need to, you know, I, I personally want to educate lawmakers uh, on what these technologies are so that they better understand and that, you know, eventually, yeah, you know, we're, we we go in with our eyes open. We talk about early adoption a lot and whether or not you're going to be an adopter, knowing about these technologies is important because it's the future. It's going to happen whether we like it or whether we don't like it, whether we believe in it, whether we don't believe in it. So being educated, knowledge is power, to your point. Yeah, you know, Sue, I want to circle back to something you said um earlier where you were pointing out that the people that are deploying this technology on behalf of the customers, they owe their customers something more than maybe what they brought to the game in the first place. So many people get started in technology because they learn how to you know, code in a specific language or they're able to partner with somebody to, to make an app look nice, uh, or maybe they had some useful skill that got you know, pulled into a, a voice uh, app or something. Um, but you know, not many of these people grew up as a, a business ethicist, right? Not many of these people came up with any kind of like anthropology background or like, you know, so it's a lot to ask for people that can do things to constantly think about whether or not their customers should. And, and sometimes it can feel cross purposes, right? Because you're like, Hey, I can make augmented reality effects. Now I'm going to start a business. And you want me to go tell people that they shouldn't do it. So it, it's a mess and it's going to be a mess for a while. But this is some of the joy that like, instead of sitting back and watching it all go sideways, we can get in there and we can try to do good for humanity. We can try to like make things go better than they otherwise would. Um, and, you know, there will be thorny things and the legislation is probably going to be way behind the capabilities of the tech for a long time to come. Um, and all of us, I think, because it's too much to, to see on our own, um, we're all constantly surprised. I was watching NVIDIA's um, uh, GTC event, uh, the graphics uh, technology conference. And, uh, you know, they're known for their their graphics cards, but increasingly they're known for artificial intelligence. And there was one demonstration where a woman was, you know, staring into the camera down the barrel of the lens. And then she looked to the side as if to refer to her speaker notes. And then she's like, oh, I can like flip this switch. And then suddenly her eye contact is back, but it's completely artificial. So mm -hmm. we're all 
working hard to maintain presence in our video meetings during the pandemic, but that might just be a filter in the future. Mm. And then you think about, well, you know, speech can be digitized also. So to Kathy's point, yeah, or you were reading from the text, uh, Sue, sorry, like if somebody sounds stressed because you can analyze the waveform of someone's voice and they're stressed over a period of time when they ask Alexa things in the afternoon, are they going to start getting ads for, you know, antidepressants? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm chuckling because it sounds so creepy, but like that data is there now. Mm-hmm. And so all of these issues that surface are going to rely on a lot of individual humans trying to make the right decision. And we have to be, you know, very watchful, um, you know, uh, looking out for each other to make sure that these dark patterns don't just, you know, pop up someplace else. Like we're starting to get rid of them maybe a little bit in social media and the web, but they could just pop right back up in your ear where no one else can hear them but you. So, um, you know, it's incumbent on all of us to try to keep our eyes and ears open and and do the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, first, I just want to say we're so excited and happy to have had you guys on the show because one, Kathy, we've been trying to get you on the show forever. You're such a busy, busy lady. So this is kind of like full circle here. We're really excited. And John, you are the first um, feminist male we've had on the show. So yay. So happy to have you and include your voice because it's important in our mission to do that. So thank you both very much. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. All right. We'd love to get three pieces of advice that each of you would give your younger self. Don't be scared to break things. Jump in there and, um, you know, take those opportunities. Everybody else is learning uh, just like you. Uh, Don't be afraid to fail, especially when you're when you're in your 20s and 30s. Um, That's a perfect time to get out there. The second piece of advice you know, get out there and meet as many people as you possibly can, not necessarily for professional networking, but from learn to learn from their experiences. Uh, it's really easy to get siloed when you're working in technology just because projects or, or technologies are so arcane and there's so much to learn. But you can learn faster and better by collecting everybody else's experiences. Treat yourself like a reporter. You know, what did you learn from that? What would you repeat? You know, like, are there any things that you could have supersized, you know, 10x the things that you do to get a better result? Like, have interesting conversations with people that do the same thing you do. Um, The third thing I would say is, like, don't stop creating. It's really easy as we progress in our careers to get more and more meta to the actual thing and then take your hands off the box and you're, like, no longer building stuff. Don't sell yourself that garbage. Like, you've got to get in there, make yourself a, a newbie again make mistakes. You know, if you're not breaking stuff, if you're not failing, you're not learning. I, I definitely want to take that and make mistakes. I wrote it down too. I'm like tons, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to change jobs, you're going to change careers, you're going to do tons of different stuff. It's okay. Make those mistakes. Cause sometimes those mistakes are the best mistakes you ever make. Um, I always talk about, I have a story I usually talk about, which is like the best mistake I ever made. Um, I would say also get out of your comfort zone. It's that's a really hard thing. Like I know when something's uncomfortable for me and I don't want to do it, but I push, I push a friend of mine said magic happens outside your comfort zone. Uh, and I mm-hmm. wholeheartedly believe that, you know, oh, I, I, I like, I know myself very well and I know when it feels uncomfortable and I don't want to do it, but sometimes I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. Um, and I think the other, the other one is, you know, you don't know who's looking, Right. One thing I've learned along the way, because I've been very lucky, I'll be very honest, I've been very lucky to build a, a, a you know, reputable, reputable personal brand. Um, 
And, you know, you never know who's looking. You don't know whose North Star you're becoming. Because I have my North Stars. Like, I have two. I have, like, Kara Swisher and Amy Webb, who are some of my, my two North Stars, let's say, of people that I want to emulate and where I want to head. Uh, and, you know, you never know who's looking. You're, you're, a North, you're a North Star to someone, and someone's looking at what you're doing. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing because they're, they're going to be looking up to you. All right. Uh, for both of you, how do you define success? I think success is when you can look in the mirror and believe your own story that that you made things better. KPIs, budgets, you know, accolades, that's all those are all trappings of success, but real success is when you can honestly say to yourself that, you know, I made I made things better for somebody. Just as a a separate thing, I would like to read the last little bit of my uh, acknowledgments. So this is really important to me, you, you all brought it up earlier about you know uh, me being the first uh, male on this podcast. That is that is not at all lost on me. Thank you so much for for letting me invade everybody's space for a little bit. But um, it says here in the book, I'd like to offer my sincere and humble thanks to the women in technology that I've been lucky enough to collaborate with since 1991. Smart, energetic, and kind people like Stephanie Calabrese, Peg Griffith, Marcy Leamy, Linda Selheim, Rhonda Lowry, Amy Lloyd, Sherry Glass. Andrea Chan, Ferris Bainauer, Samantha Wolf, Julie Smithson, and last but not certainly not least, my co-author Kathy Hackle. You all are surely are too few and too far between. To my beautiful daughters, full of curiosity and passion, you have amazing opportunities ahead that were built from the hard work of your sisters around the world. So just, you know, my whole career, 30 years, has been 99% dudes, and there is no good reason for it. This is such an opportunity for women to do more or to just get started working in technology. We're all making it up as we go. So I just uh, thank you so much for, for my time with you today and, and the platform to, to share what we've learned. And I'm just really glad to be with you. So thanks. Thank you. Thank John. you. I got goosebumps. Thank, thank you so yeah. much. That was fantastic. That was awesome. Oh, I don't even know how to follow that. I mean, John, just thank you. Thank you because he truly has been, he has been personally for me a champion. He has championed me every step of the way. I know he's championed a lot of other women. And, um, you know, and just watching him be, what I know of him being a dad to his two girls, like, I just, I'm excited. We, we need more people like John. Oh, it's kind of you to say. Thank you. Mm. And I love, John, that you also said that um, we're all making it up as we go. And it's so important for all of us to hear that. And we hear that a lot from the women on our show. But I think to hear that from a dude, um, mm-hmm. it like, we're all doing it. Okay, so it might seem that way just for women, but dudes do it too. And they do it with a lot of confidence. So women should have that same empowered mentality to, to just do it. We're all, we're all in this and trying to figure it out together. So um, yes, I love that you said that. Thank you. Check the imposter syndrome at the door, everybody. Exactly. <laughs> all right, last one. Describe the future in one word. Opportunity. <laughs> Those are both yes, awesome. And I love the answer at the As, same time. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a magical opportunity. How's that? Yes. Oh, thank you both so much today. This was wonderful. Your book is awesome. The Augmented Workforce. Highly, highly recommend it to all of our listeners. It's just a, a great way to understand these incredibly important technologies without necessarily being a technologist yourself. And they're so important and it's a really engaging read. So thank you for taking the time to write it and thank you for taking the time to speak yes, with us. Thank today. you. Thanks for having us. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. 
Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women. 